Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we're going to be taking a look at UFC 260. We're going to be looking at the main event, Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic. And then after that, we're going to be taking a look at the two other big fights we had on this card, which were Tyron Woodley versus Vicente Luque and Sean O'Malley versus Thomas Almeida. We might touch on a couple other fights. There really isn't much for other news to talk about outside of UFC 260, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about UFC 260 because at the top we saw Francis Ngannou had an incredible performance, and there's a lot going into um, who Francis is going to fight next. So I'm going to talk about that. That's a pretty complex situation on how that's going to play out. So I'm going to talk about that, and then afterwards we... We won't do a look forward to next week's card because there is no next week's card, but I will touch a little bit on next week's episode because I do plan on recording another episode next week despite having no fight card. So, to start off at the main event here, Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic. This was an incredible performance by Francis Ngannou. Now, this might be one of the best performances of all time in UFC history. And I say that, that might be a little bit of an overreaction and some recency bias, but we saw Francis Ngannou go in there against the consensus best heavyweight of all time, and he won every second of that fight, and eventually got the finish in the second round. But if you're going in there against who many people consider a top 10 fighter of all time, regardless of weight class the best fighter of all time at heavyweight, and has the most UFC title defenses at heavyweight, and you go in there, and I don't know about you guys, but me personally, after the first minute, there isn't a, there isn't a time where I'm like, oh, Stipe's in a good spot, Stipe has control. Um, Stipe never had control in this fight. Francis Ngannou controlled the whole fight, and he took away some of Stipe's best weapons. He was able to get him backed up against the cage and put in bad spots that allowed Francis to attack and the the amount of improvements that Francis made from the first fight to now is scary to me that's the scariest part about this fight is the sheer amount of improvements that we've seen over three years for Francis Ngannou I mean in the first fight Stipe out wrestled Francis the whole time and in this fight there was one takedown attempt by Stipe Albeit it wasn't the greatest um, attempt at a takedown. He got deep on a shot, but he wasn't. It wasn't the most effective in terms of finishing that takedown. But uh, regardless, we saw we saw Francis Ngannou, you know, pressure on the head, um, did the basics to stop this takedown, and he got the takedown. Or I mean, excuse me, he he did not get the takedown. And then we saw Francis. Um, he advan- He started advancing position which to me is very telling on how comfortable he is on the ground. A lot of guys who you know have been critiqued on their ground game, if you see them stuff a takedown, they're pushing off. If they're in that position, um, they're pushing off and they're separating and they're getting back to their feet. In this situation, Francis didn't do that. Francis transitioned in advanced position and got himself in some better positions for offense, which to me is telling that he's comfortable on the ground. He was willing to be on the ground with Stipe, albeit he was in a very good position on top. But, you know, a lot of guys, like I said, they're creating that separation and they're cutting them and they're and they're getting on their feet to strike more. Not Francis. He got himself in a good position and then he wanted to strike and he did land strikes. He landed probably 
15 ground and pound shots heavy on Stipe after he got that uh, top position there. So not only did he get to advance, he not only did he advance position, but he got to a position to strike, land ground and pound, and then he he was able to land the ground and pound. Stipe did get up because when you're landing ground and pound from that position, there isn't much holding you down. So Stipe does get up, but he stayed out of danger even when Stipe got up. And when he he had great timing on this as to when to stop the ground and pound. You know, some you can go, he could have gone wild in that situation, but we saw so much composure, specifically in that situation, when he knew when to stop throwing this flurry of ground and pound strikes. That was a very telling moment. In the first round, he hit Stipe with a big hook and wobbled Stipe a little bit, and he was composed. He didn't start throwing wild shots against Stipe, which is something to me is something that Francis is going to have to do to win some of these next fights against some of these next guys he's going to face. Whether his next fight is John Jones, he can't go in there and throw those wild shots. He has to be composed because if you're not composed against John Jones, he'll take you down. Derek Lewis, Surreal Gan. If you're not composed against those guys, those guys have Surreal Gan has very good movement. He'll get out of bad positions. Derek Lewis has very good counters. He'll counter you and put your lights out. So not only did he do things to beat Stipe, but he did the things to beat Stipe. And you look at those things and you're like, that's good things that we need to keep seeing. And that will result in some title defenses, it's looking like. Excuse me. So. Like I said, the peer, the the ability to, I think, improve. I don't think we've seen that much improvement over that short period of time from anyone else in, I don't want to say MMA history, but him, Francis being able to, in 2018, he looked like this raw prospect. And in 2021, early 2021, he looked dominant and he looked the best in all facets of the game. He attacked the body very well, and he used he used uh, he attacked the body early, um, jabs to the body we saw a lot of. But then he used that to set up the right hook that he hit on Stipe early, that the original shot that wobbled him there in the first round. So everything he did was with a purpose. When he's attacking the body, he eventually goes to the, he eventually goes jab hook. So he did a lot of things here that are just so impressive. He th- he threw more kicks. We saw improvements in Francis's kick game. He threw several leg kicks, some very strong leg kicks, and he landed a head kick as well, which to me, that's just showing the growth in Francis's game. Not only did he throw that head kick, but he landed it on the jaw of Stipe. And a side note here is Stipe has an incredible chin. I mean, I know he got knocked out in the second round and he, you know, in a vicious fashion, but he's going up against the undisputed hardest puncher in UFC history. And he's able to absorb a head kick, um, a massive right hook early in the first round. He takes 15 or so massive ground and pound shots that would put a lot of people's lights out. Um, And even when he was able, or when Francis was able to connect with several shots in a row in that finishing sequence, we saw Stipe wobbled, get pushed back against the cage, and then he stood up again, and then he landed a big counter shot, a similar counter shot to what he dropped Fabricio Verdum with. So even even Stipe's chin is ridiculous, and Francis, a lot of people were saying it would take one shot. Well, it took more than one shot for Francis, and he was able to land enough shots, um, two or three in that final sequence, and he landed some in the first round as well. So um, 
not only did Francis land his shots, but he did so efficiently. He never, he didn't look tired. A lot of people were saying if it would get out of the first round, Francis wouldn't cardio, cardio's, oh, excuse me, Francis's cardio wouldn't hold up. But we saw, we saw Francis's cardio hold up into the second round. And that's just another facet of this performance that was so incredibly impressive. And it looks like Francis is still growing as a fighter. Francis just had an all-time great performance, becoming the heavyweight champion, and I don't think he's done improving. We have seen, we have seen um, his last couple fights. You know, he's been he's been a little bit more patient in the in the in the Jardinia fight. He got a little bit away from that and threw some wild shots, but he did win that fight. So we're seeing changes in Francis that are all for the better, and the patience is. I I feel like I'm stressing this a lot, but it's important because. Francis is really in a position here where he has all the tools, it looks like as of now, to be a great, to be an all-time great, especially a heavyweight, and he was in several positions where he could have put himself in bad spots, he could have overcommitted on, on some strikes when he had Stipe hurt, but he never did, and that's a mistake we would see in the past, and he's gotten a mistake out of his game, and he stays composed. And he lands, he lands, and then he gets out of gets out of range. I was so impressed by Francis. He, you know, he's got the greatest knockout power of all time, like I said, and he's still improving. And I feel like that's something that shouldn't be forgotten is that he's still improving, and he's improving at a high rate. In some of his last couple fights, we didn't see the improvements like we thought we would, um, and that's because of how quick they were. The improvements were there, but we didn't really see them. It was hard to see them. We had to assume that he made strides in the grappling department coming into this, and he proved by stopping the takedown that he did make improvements. Now, Stipe was able to get deep on the leg, so I'm not saying that Francis Ngannou is you know, unbeatable because he has great grappling. I don't think his grappling is elite, but he has showed far improvements, and I think we're going to keep seeing improvements um, in the future here. So... For Francis, the big question is, what is next for Francis? Now, there are three names, in my opinion, and a lot of people might be confused by that as to why I'm saying three names, because most people have just been saying John Jones. I'm going to talk about each name that I have here, and um, I'm going to explain in the John Jones part why I think John Jones, that fight, may not happen. So, to start off, you have John Jones, obviously the first, the second being Derek Lewis, and the third being the trilogy against Stipe. So we're in a position here where John Jones has, it's pretty much considered that if John Jones wants this fight, it's his fight. Now, the question is, is John Jones going to take this fight? The answer is not clear at this point. John Jones has pretty much said, hey, you give me enough money, um, I'll take this fight. If you don't want to give me the money, then I won't take this fight, and you can give it to whoever. I don't care. Now, this is this is worrisome because this is always, you know, this has been the problem with getting John Jones in the octagon as of late is he wants to be paid more. Now, I'm not here to talk about whether UFC fighters should be paid more. Um, I, I think a lot of fighters deserve to get paid more than what they are, at this, especially at this point in the UFC. But... John Jones wants 
money that is far, far ahead of what he's getting paid now. He wants Connor-type money. He thinks he's on the same level as Connor. Um, the reason Connor gets paid isn't because of his performances in the Octagon. It's because of the fans he brings in and all the things that go along with the Connor fight. John Jones doesn't bring those things. John Jones's biggest pay-per-view of all time was 800k against Daniel Cormier. So we're in this position here where John Jones doesn't do overly well on pay-per-views, and I do think that this would be I do think this would be John Jones's best pay-per-view um, in terms of numbers. It would likely be um, with John and Francis. A lot of people really like Francis, and I think he's going to do good numbers as a champion, but. For John Jones, I mean, John Jones is going to sit here and he's going to want more money. Now, there's one there's one thing that John won't do, and that's ask for more pay-per-view points. John is going to ask for more guaranteed money, but he won't ask for more pay-per-view points. And I mean, if you're looking at the pay-per-view structure, John Jones and Francis, I think if I had to do a prediction, you're getting probably 700K uh, is probably your floor, I'd say, at this point. For Francis and John Jones, and you could get it to a million at at least, depending on how it's marketed. And I I think we've seen a good reaction from Francis and Ganu in terms of um, social media presence and growth. So I think these things are promising in terms of pay per view numbers for these guys. But that's the one thing is that John won't do, and that's ask for more pay per view points because he's not overly great at making people interested in his fights. He never has been. I mean. John Jones has been all over the place in terms of his personality. When he first started in the UFC, he was, you know, um, the the young God lover and all these things. And then it comes out that he's, you know, actually an awful person. And then, you know, um, he does all these terrible things, gets arrested all these times, and then he doesn't really fully play into the bad guy role. And now he's in this weird spot where he's trying to be a fan favorite and he's doing things to be a bad guy. And he doesn't really fit his role in terms of marketability. Because what do you market John Jones as? The UFC has pretty much said, oh, we're just going to market him as the GOAT. Which, I mean, in his last fight against Dominic Reyes, that didn't really work. Um, the UFC has long had problems marketing John Jones, and they haven't made extreme amounts of money off him. Um, well, they have made good money. I shouldn't say that. But in terms of if you're looking at John Jones in comparison to other guys, I mean, it's he's subpar in terms of pay-per-view draw. For someone who has 15 title defenses, you'd think more people would want to watch them fight, watch him fight. But that's just not the situation we're in. Maybe that'll change with Francis, and I think that would be because of Francis and not because of anything that John did. And that's unfortunate because I would love to see John Jones um, pull in more pay-per-view points. Um, I, I kind of got off the rails here, and I would love to see John get more pay-per-view points, but is it going to happen? No, I don't think he's going to ask for that. John's going to ask for more guaranteed money, and there's a good chance that that guaranteed money is too much and the UFC won't pay it. And I'm not here to – John has, uh, has said several times, um, I want the UFC to pay me what I'm worth. To be honest, I don't really understand what that means. I don't know what, what you define as your worth as a person. Um, that doesn't really make sense to me. If the, if John Jones says, I want the EFC to pay me what I'm worth, what are you what are you worth? How do you determine how much you're worth to go fight Francis Ngannou? I mean, I, 
and does your worth line up with what the company determines your worth is, what the fans determine your worth is? It's a really weird way to describe I want to be paid more. And John Jones is one of the higher paid athletes on the roster as well. So we'll see. I guess we'll see what happens. But there's a strong chance that this fight doesn't happen. John Jones has already said, you know, if they don't want to pay me what I want to get paid, give the fight to Derek Lewis. So John Jones has already pretty much said, hey, I'll turn down this fight. I'm not afraid to turn down this fight. He's also said he's not afraid to take the fight, so we'll give him that. But at this point, I think we're, it's a 50-50 toss-up. And I don't think we're going to know right away. Hopefully we can find out in the next couple of days if the UFC is going to pay John Jones what he wants to be paid. But, you know, those are private negotiations, and it's going to be hard to figure out uh, how that goes down because the UFC is one of the, is the biggest um, sports organization that doesn't disclose pay. The NFL, NBA, um, soccer, all of those places, NHL, they all disclose their pay, and the UFC doesn't. The UFC has in the past, I, I, I mean, not even really, um, pay-per-view or pay-per-view um, buys used to be public. Now they're not even public. Now the pay-per-view buys are kind of like a guess on how many pay-per-views we're doing. Um, there is no official release from the UFC. And I mean, that's a whole nother talk for another day, I guess. I'm getting off track here. But because um, there's so much to talk about when it's, when it's talking about fighter pay. And that might be a topic that I talk about next week. There's a couple things I want to talk about next week. We'll talk about that later. But um, there's a good chance that we don't see this John Jones versus Francis fight simply because John Jones doesn't get paid what he wants to get paid. And then we're in a situation of what happens if Fran what happens if um, Francis doesn't get that John Jones fight. And then the, that's where we're sitting at our two other guys, Derek Lewis and Stipe Miocic. Now, this is interesting to me because Francis has fought both of these guys. I mean, that Derek Lewis fight was obviously a terrible fight, and we didn't really see much. Derek Lewis technically won, but there was no winner in that fight. Um, and I think the UFC would probably go in the direction of Derek Lewis because for Stipe, what is Stipe going to do now? I mean, Stipe's in a really tough spot. Some people are saying retirement. I don't think so, but I would agree that Stipe didn't look um, as good in that fight as he has in his previous fights. His movement was not as good. Um, his takedown wasn't there. And I don't I don't think that's a permanent thing that he's aging with because he looked very good against DC. But I do think that that wasn't his best performance. And I think we will see that fight again. And the question is whether it's next. I don't think Stipe has to go beat a challenger. But I do think that um, we will see that fight and and we will get a rematch. This may be a similar situation to Stipe versus DC, where Stipe took uh, about a year off and then got the rematch against DC after DC beat Derek Lewis. We could see that same exact thing happen again. If John Jones doesn't take this fight, we could see Francis take on Derek Lewis and then take on Stipe afterwards. Because... In my opinion, you have to. Stipe has earned this trilogy fight. Um, when you beat someone once and then they beat you the second time, you know that's usually enough for the trilogy fight. When you're split one to one, trilogy happens. Look at Connor and Dustin; they're looking at doing that right now. Now, for Stipe, he has that, and he also has the fact that he's the goat in that division, and he's everyone thinks he's the heavyweight goat. So I think he has done everything he has to deserve that rematch. 
but I don't think that he's going to get it right away. He's not going to get it right now. Nobody's calling for that rematch today. I think Francis should fight someone different first and then have Stipe sit out, have Stipe take time off. Um, that's what he did against D, and I'm saying that because that's what he did against DC, and it worked. DC, you know, had a better performance than Francis, I guess, um, in terms of he he knocked Stipe out in like a minute 45 or two minutes and 40 seconds, something like that, the first time they fought, and then Stipe went on to win the next two. So if you're Stipe, I would do the same thing I did for DC, and I would also suggest that um, Stipe tries to gain muscle. Um, I guess that's just he was 240 the first time they fought, and now he, he was 230 that fight. And for Stipe, you're in a position where if you look at that takedown, Stipe is trying to lift. He's trying to lift Francis off the ground, and it just looks like Francis is too big. And then you have um, you have this... If you look closely, if you watch that, you can see where Stipe gives up on that takedown. Um, Francis does a good job of pressuring the head, and he gets all his body weight. He gets all 265 pressuring down on Stipe, and Stipe just can't stay in that position and has to give it up, give up on the takedown. So I think the weight could play a factor in that takedown, and I think that is something that Stipe should revisit and possibly try and add 10 pounds. Don't add 10 pounds of fat, add, add 10 pounds of um, muscle. And I think Stipe would have a good chance at winning the next fight. I think Stipe is still possible. Stipe and John Jones are the toughest matchups, in my opinion, for Francis. And um, I don't want to count Stipe out yet in a trilogy. I mean, that's far down the line, yes. But um, I think we are going to see that fight. And I don't think Stipe is going to take on a contender. And eventually, Francis will have another. And if you're Francis, you have another opportunity. You have a true trilogy. You have, if you beat Stipe twice, that adds to your legacy. If you take, if you do the trilogy fight, that adds to your pockets because that's going to be a good selling pay-per-view. So if you're Francis, you have all the reasons in the world to fight Stipe, and you should have confidence because of the performance you just put on, and you proved you can beat Stipe. This performance wasn't a fluke. You know, Stipe didn't win four rounds and then get caught in the fifth. Francis dominated the whole fight. So I think that's what we're going to see for from Francis. There's a, Like I said, there's a 50-50 shot that we see Francis versus John Jones. And uh, hopefully we see that fight because that fight would be amazing. And then if not, we're probably looking at Derek Lewis. And then if he can win that, if he can win the, the first matchup he gets, he uh, would be looking down a line for a steep A trilogy. So Francis is in a good position to get a lot of big fights, money fights, legacy fights, whatever you want to call them. I mean, those fights are pretty much just a combination of the three. So um, Jan Blachowicz just talked about moving up to heavyweight in the future. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot there for Francis in the future. And um, just hopefully Francis can stay healthy, stay active. And if he keeps improving, like we have seen, um, Francis is going to be a tough guy to beat. And as of right now, I don't think I would pick a single heavyweight to beat Francis from what I saw last night. That may be recency bias, but from what I saw last night, he looked pretty pretty hard to beat. I'm not saying you can't. Um, there's guys out there that could present challenges. Like I said, Derek Lewis's counterpunching could present a challenge. Surreal Gans' elite movement could present a challenge. 
John Jones's wrestling could prevent a cha- or could uh, be a challenge to an extent, and John Jones is very good defensively. Those could prevent challenges to Francis. So I think there's a lot of interesting fights, and I think you can work, you can sell the fact that these, some of these guys could beat Francis, even though Francis would obviously be the favorite. So there's a lot of fun fights. Um, Volkov out there. How does Francis deal with someone who probably has reach over him? I don't know Volkov and Francis's reach off the top of my head, but how does he deal with someone who's longer than him? Would be an interesting thing, and someone who attacks the body as frequently as Volkov and is able to manage range. These would all be very interesting things that I'd like to see. So for Francis, like I said, um, kind of long-winded here, but there's so many fun fights, and I just want to stress, I just want to stress that fact that there's a lot of fun fights here, and that um, Francis is this is gonna be a a fun a fun couple years for Francis if he can be an act an active heavyweight champion and defend this belt the, a couple times. And then we had, in the co-main, we had Tyron Woodley versus Vicente Luque. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to admit here is I'm not the biggest Tyron Woodley fan. I never have been. Um, that's just a personal preference. Um, but in this fight, we saw, I felt really bad for Tyron Woodley here because we saw someone who, in his last three fights, hasn't performed as well as he could. And his, the critiques were, Tyron, you have to use your wrestling. You're a great wrestler. Their critiques were, Tyron, you have to be more active on the feet. You have to throw more shots. You have to, you know, let your hands go. These were the critiques that we saw from Ty- for Tyron Woodley. And then in this fight, he went out there and addressed every single one of those critiques and did everything that people have been asking him to do. He went out there, off the whistle, throws a, throws a nice hook, gets double underhooks, um, couldn't get the takedown, and then he eventually is trading with Luque. He hurts Luque. He lands a big right hook, and then eventually Luque um, returns the favor, and he's, Luque threw a lot of straight punches, landed a nice elbow. Luque did very well in this fight. I'm not trying to um, shade Luque here. Luque had an incredible performance, but it was tough to watch because as much as I'm not the biggest Tyron Woodley fan, when, some, when you have for years people have been saying Tyron do this do this do this this will lead you to victory he did all those things and couldn't get the victory which to me was tough that fight was a war that fight was a great fight that's a fight I'll revisit and watch again because I mean you had Tyron get hurt and then Tyron got hurt and then he was wobbling and he was still throwing Tyron went out swinging and that's the one thing that um, I'll always respect Tyron for is he never took an easy fight and he always, he always went out, he went out swinging on his last one. It looked like this was, um, the last fight on his UFC contract and it looks like he won't be resi- resigned, but boy, did he go out swinging and I have respect for that. And I think most people will have respect for that. Whether you're a Tyron Woodley fan or a Tyron, Wood- Tyron Woodley hater, he went out swinging for the fences, which is what people have been asking him to do. He went out swinging, and Luke A had a great performance. Luke A is one of the most underrated fighters in the UFC right now. He's he's won seven of his last nine, or something like that. His law, his most recent loss is the Wonder Boy Thompson, who's a tough night out for anybody. Anybody's a tough night out for. And Luke A is in an interesting position here, where he doesn't have a lot to work with. I mean, if you look at the rankings, which 
whatever. He just beat the number seven guy in Tyrone Woodley. He's the number 10 guy. He'll likely move up. And I'd like to see Vicente Luque get a get a shot at someone here. Um, I don't know if he's going to get that opportunity because of how inactive these welterweights are and how stubborn they are when it term, when it comes to fighting the best guys. Um, I think I think Luque has cemented himself as one of the best welterweights outside of the top five. I think that's um, a pretty common opinion. But you have, if he could fight anyone from, I mean, you'd like to see him in there against someone in the top five, but I doubt he gets that opportunity. Colby is the CEO of not taking fights unless it's uh, Usman Woodley or Masvidal. He doesn't want, it sounds like he doesn't want anyone that's not Woodley or that's not Masvidal or Usman right now, simply because he wants a big name. Uh, there's a chance that this is uh, this has kind of worked out well for Colby because if Masvidal loses, he'll have a much better shot at getting that fight. So that, that'll be interesting. If Masvidal can lose, they'll probably try and book Colby versus Masvidal. And then... Um, you have Gilbert Burns, who Gilbert's a, Gilbert would take that fight probably. Gilbert's game. Gilbert's more game to fight anyone than anyone else in this top five at welterweight. Then you have Leon Edwards, who wants a title fight. You have Jorge, who got the title fight. You've got Wonder Boy, who is injured, and I don't know how long he's going to be injured for. Kiesa is also injured. I think Kiesa and Thompson are going to return soon. But um, then you have, we'll probably have Luke just outside of that. And for Luke, you could make the case that you could put him in there with Neil Magny, maybe. Um, Damian Maya has been super inactive since his loss to Gilbert Burns. He wants a retirement fight in Brazil. Um, who knows when that will happen, if it happens. So Luke, I, I don't know where they're going to go here. I'd personally, I'd like to see, uh, it's tough because he lost to Steven, he lost a Wonder Boy. That loss is really coming to bite him. Um, maybe you go, I, we're going to have to wait and see here. We're going to have to wait and see for Luke A because it all depends on what Gilbert Burns does. If they book Burns versus Edwards or they book Burns versus Covington, I think Burns is the first guy to get mashed up out of these top five guys. So if they can book Burns against someone else in the top five, I think we could see Luke A gets one of those, um, Luke A could get one of the unpaired guys in the top five or six. Say, for example, you go Burns versus Edwards. You go Covington versus Masvidal. If Masvidal loses to Usman, you go Covington versus Masvidal. Then you have Wonderboy Thompson, who does, isn't matched up. And you would have Michael Chiesa. So maybe Michael Chiesa is the best route. Um, I was thinking you can give Michael... Uh, see, it's so tough. It's so tough. There's so You know what? I'm going to stop speculating on this because there's so many ifs that it's just pointless to you know throw out a bunch of hypothetical situations. Um, so we're going to have to wait and see here. We're going to need some answers. And I think once we get a big fight booked at welterweight, that's when we'll be able to kind of make a distinction on what Luke should do. So we're going to have to wait on that. And then for Tyron, this looks like it was his last UFC fight. Unfortunately, that was his last fight on contract. And it sounds like the UFC doesn't want to re-sign him. Now, there was a bit of speculation on this. What is next for Tyron? Most people would say retirement because the UFC is um, not resigning him. Now, the question here is what does Tyron do because he, if he still wants to compete, he has options. Now, he can go to another league, but there, wasn't a, there was a report 
Chael Sonnen talked about this, that this was a possibility, is Oscar De La Hoya is returning to boxing and he wants to fight a top UFC fighter. Tywin Willie is no longer under contract with the UFC, so he can go anywhere and do anything without the permission of the UFC. If you're Oscar De La Hoya and you want a top UFC fighter, you're getting a former champ who is no longer in the organization because he's not going to get in someone who is currently under contract with the UFC. I doubt that happens. That that just seems super unlikely that Dana says, yeah, yeah, go fight Oscar De La Hoya. But Tyron, would, it looks like he is the um, great, is, looks like he is for the Oscar De La Hoya return to boxing. It looks like Tyron would be someone who could potentially be that name that Oscar De La Hoya wants. A lot of people know Woodley. Woodley was a champ. And Woodley is not a boxer. Woodley's a wrestler. He's a wrestler first. And in his career, we saw Woodley set up the big right hand with the takedown. With the threat of re- offensive wrestling, he would set up big takedowns. And big, I mean, excuse me, he would set up big right hands with the threat of the takedown. Now, that's not an option. We're not going to see that um, in a boxing ring. So I think that's someone where Oscar De La Hoya could go point at and say, hey, um, I want Tyron Woodley for that reason. A lot of these boxers, when they fight MMA guys, they don't want the they don't want the elite boxers of MMA. I mean, Floyd took Connor, who's an elite MMA boxer, but that's Floyd is the one of the best boxers of all time. So that's a little bit of a different story. When you see some of these other guys, when you see um, when you see like Jake Paul tried to get is got Ben Askren. He called out Dylan Dennis. So a lot of these MMA fighters that are going, um, they tried getting Frank Mir to fight on the undercard of that Ben Askren, Jake Paul card. Frank Mir was a sub- submission specialist back in the day. So Tyron Woodley's a wrestler. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try and book that match with Oscar De La Hoya versus Tyron Woodley. Um, if Oscar De La Hoya wants to beat up UFC guys, he's going to have to go to a wrestler. He's going to have to go to a jiu-jitsu guy. He's not going to be able to beat up a boxer. And I think Tyron Woodley beats Oscar De La Hoya. That's a whole nother talk. Um, this is all silliness, obviously, because Oscar De La Hoya should not be returning to boxing at all, at all. And the fact that he wants to fight UFC guys is even sillier. So, um, regardless, Oscar De La Hoya wants a UFC guy. And Tyron Woodley is no longer under contract with the UFC. And if he wants to compete... Um, then that might be the route that they go on that. And um, hopefully if that does happen, Tyron Woodley can land a big right hand on him and put him down. That'd be that'd make my day. And then um, well, and then another another thing is Francis Ngannou. If Francis Ngannou can keep winning at heavyweight, there's going to be talks about him boxing quick. Okay, so be prepared for that. If Francis gets one or two title defenses against anyone, um, boxers are going to be looking for a payday. The heavyweights are just about out of matchups. They've got Fury versus Why, or they've got excuse me, they've got Fury versus Anthony Joshua booked. That was a two fight deal, so I'm assuming they're going to do an immediate rematch. And after that fight, the winner, if those guys, um, if someone wins both of those fights, whether it's Fury or Wilder. If those guys, if one of those guys goes two and zero, or they end up doing a trilogy, the winner of that series, we'll just call it the series between Wilder or between Fury. I keep saying Wilder between Fury and Joshua. The winner's gonna want Francis Ngannou. Um, 
I can see that coming from a mile away. Fury has been one of the biggest guys when it comes to talking about boxing or moving to MMA. He trained with Darren Till. Um, he talked about boxing Stipe. Um, these were talks that we said we talked about with Stipe going to boxing. And now with Francis, it's going to be even more extreme because he is more one-dimensional than Stipe was as a champion. Um, he's a he's got incredible power. People would wonder how the power would translate. So don't be surprised when those talks when those um, don't be surprised when people want Francis to go box Joshua or Tyson Fury. It's going to happen. So that's just a warning. Just wait for it. It'll be there. Um, year, year and a half, it's going to happen. Um, if he wins, if he wins, obviously, if he go, if he gets some losses in there, then, you know, it won't happen, but if he wins, it'll happen. I promise you that. And then the third big fight we had was Sean O'Malley versus Thomas Almeida. Now, this was interesting to me because Sean O'Malley and Thomas Almeida are at two different paths in their paths in their career. Thomas Almeida, it looks like he's on the way out. He's lost his last four of seven. He's lost four of his last seven, five of his last seven. He's lost five of his last seven because he was four of six coming in. So he's lost five of his last seven. Sean O'Malley was a top prospect, and then he loses to Cheeto Vera. Now, the questions coming into this for Sean O'Malley was, how does the leg hold up? How's the durability going? Um, we saw that answered in this three-round fight. He th- Sean O'Malley, this is, this is the thing that proves to me that he is A-OK in terms of durability, foot, ankle, whatever issues he was having. He was willing to throw leg kicks. When you're willing to throw leg kicks, you're willing to, um, you're, you're not afraid of getting hurt. Because you can you can hurt yourself throwing that kick, and you're just bashing shins against each other at points where you're not worried about getting hurt if you're throwing leg kicks. And he did an amazing job of staying out of like rain. The um he did a great job of avoiding kicks from Almeida, whether that be head kicks, body kicks, leg kicks. Um, when he did get hit with a leg kick, he got hit with a couple, didn't look to phase him, and he returned with a with a harder, faster leg kick. So Sean O'Malley looked great, almost finished him in the first round, um, landed a major head kick, and I have no clue how Thomas Almeida wasn't out cold. Um, he landed like four more head kicks throughout the fight, um, and some big one-twos. Sean O'Malley throws a long right hand. He switches stance so well. I was impressed by O'Malley because we saw everything that people hyped him up to be a top prospect for. We saw O'Malley, he almost got a walk-off KO. Um, he should have got a walk. He almost got one in the first round and then should have got one in the third round. Um, that last that last one, you know, Almeida's doing barrel rolls on the octagon floor. So that, that should be enough to stop a fight. But they wanted they wanted uh, O'Malley to, the ref wanted O'Malley to hit him again. So O'Malley puts his lights out with the last one. I mean, that's the fight game, I guess. So... But the things you saw from O'Malley in this fight were great. Staying out of range defensively of the kicks. He landed a lot of kicks. Looks like he was doing damage to that lead leg. He looked fast. When Sean O'Malley throws throws that spinning heel kick, he looks fast. He looks powerful. He dominates range. He attacks with a great variety of strikes. He's throwing teeps to the body. Um, Leg kicks, uh, oblique kicks spinning heel kicks like I said 
just and then he'll come at you with boxing fundamentals one two and a hook um i mean absolutely tremendous performance and this is the reason sean o'malley was hyped up to be the next big thing in the ufc and at this point you know it's looking like he got better which is he's still young and it's looking like he got better now what is next for sean o'malley that's a good question um there's three names in my opinion that would all be great fights for Sean O'Malley. That is, when you look at the 135 rankings, you've got Kyler Phillips, Marlon Vera, and Song Yedong. If they make one of those three fights against, or one of, put one of those three guys against Sean O'Malley, I'm a happy man. There's other fights, obviously, that would make me happy, but those are none of those are misses. Marlon Vera versus Sean O'Malley was fun the first time, I mean, that was a good time. Give Sean, there's a redemption arc there. Sean doesn't think he lost that fight. Um, He could be trolling. He may genuinely believe it was lucky that Cheeto won that fight. Regardless, he set up a fight for, uh, he set up the rematch there. Um, Then you have Kyler Phillips. That'd be a fun fight. Song Yidong, Song Yidong and Kyle Phillips just put on a war. And I think Sean O'Malley versus one of those two guys would be another fun one. So either way, um, I, if I had to pick here, um, I'd probably say Kyler Phillips, because if Kyler Phillips can beat Sean O'Malley, then that puts him in a really good position because he's also a really talented guy. And then if Sean O'Malley wins, then you have Sean O'Malley just proving again that he's one of these the best guys in this division. And another shout could be Cody Stamen. That could be a possibility. Stamen called him out, I believe. That'd be an interesting matchup because Stamen's going to go out there and try and wrestle you. So how does Sean O'Malley react to that? That'd be a great question. And um, if he can go out there and beat someone who's wrestling heavy like Corey Stamen, um, that would be that would really prove that he can get in there with some of these top guys in this 135-pound division and be able to win. Another interesting fight would be Dominic Cruz. Um, how would How would stylistically... Two guys who are really unorthodox, and you put them in there against each other, that'd be a fun one. I don't think they're going to, that seems like too big of a jump um, for Sean O'Malley. I think we're going to have to wait. I think that could be a fight. If Sean O'Malley beats, say, Kyler Phillips, then you could look at Sean O'Malley versus someone like Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, Marlon Moraes, someone of that caliber. Pedro Munoz, maybe even. So I think that would be something, you know. Frankie Edgar, if he gets another one, there's a lot of good options here for Sean. Um, if he can, if he can, um, if he can get another win, then we're gonna see Sean O'Malley doing some big things in this bantamweight division, which I'm personally excited for because I was having a hell of a time watching that fight. Um, the unorthodox style, switching stances so well, throwing kicks. Sean O'Malley is the only guy I think I've ever seen fake spin. You know, he throws spinning attacks very well, so you got to respect this fake spin. So there's so many things here that I like from Sean O'Malley that I think are um, things he will continue to do. Hopefully he's active. Hopefully he gets in there soon. I don't know if he's hurt. Um, those types of things, kind of hard to tell. There might have been an underlying issue. Um, he looked like he got out of there healthy. Thomas Almeida landed a couple times on him, but nothing... Um, just a couple hooks, nice shots, but nothing that you'd be like, oh, Sean O'Malley needs a break. So 
those were the three big fights I wanted to talk about from last night. I think those are all important. Obviously, the heavyweight title is always important, regardless. Um, you had and then Tyron Woodley's last fight, Vicente Luque had a great performance. Just to sum things up, Sean O'Malley went out there, performed really, really well. Miranda Maverick is someone in this women's flyweight division who's looking like a very good prospect. Jamie Malarkey had a great KO. This was a really good card overall. Alonzo Menafield went out there and had a nice submission. Um, Habib's cousin, Abukar Namagamedov, had a really good performance. I don't even know if he attempted or he was one for five on takedowns, but he did great striking. Um, Modus Bauskas and uh, Michael had a great fight. I'm not even going to try and say his last name. You know who I'm talking about. Um, there's a, too many J's next to K's with C's and Z's for me to try and say that name. Shane Young versus Omar Morales was a really good fight as well. So a lot of really good fights on this card. I was happy with this card. Maybe we didn't have a lot of big names like you would expect on a pay-per-view. But, you know, that was because the co-main got canceled with Volkanovski and Ortega. When a, when a big fight like that gets canceled, you know, you're gonna, the card's going to be a little bit weaker. But, I mean, top three fights were all super fun to watch, super entertaining fights. So those were all good things. And then throughout that, we had fun performances and good things um, good things happening. So that was a really fun card. Like I said, there is not any other news to talk about, really. Um, no big fight announcements. We had a big run of them last week, so that's probably why there weren't any this week. They didn't have anything to announce. They announced so many, made so many last week. They got so many guys paired up. Um, next, there's no fight card coming up on Saturday, a week, or today, or like a week, this upcoming fight card. There isn't a fight card. Um, the week after that is Till versus Vittori, and I plan on still doing a podcast next Sunday, a week from today, and I'm going to map that out a little bit, but I'm going to talk about some general topics. I think I want to talk about, um, I, I, if fight, fighter pay is relevant right now with John Jones. So I think we might, and maybe we'll have some other news to talk about. Um, usually we don't have two super light news cycles, um, back to back. So we may be able to see some new important news. That's a possibility. Um, maybe we hear something about John Jones. Maybe he puts out some tweets that we can talk about. You never know, but maybe I'll touch on fighter pay a little bit if you're interested in that. And I'll give my takes on that. Um, I don't have too strong of an opinion on that, but one thing I do want to definitely talk about next week is the pay-per-view model and how that is hurting the sport um, and the reasons why we shouldn't be doing pay-per-view anymore. Um, imagine if this you had to pay to watch the Super Bowl. How many people would watch the Super Bowl? You know, Imagine if you had to pay $70 to watch the Super Bowl. UFC fans have to, UFC fans have to pay $70 a month to watch a championship fight. So... I'm going to touch on that because that's something that I think is holding back the sport. So I want to give my opinions on that. And then um, we'll touch on some other things. You got to come to see what those things are. But thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Um, come back next week. Like I said, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a little bit different. And um, we're going to touch on some fun. No, I shouldn't say fun topics because these aren't really fun topics. Interesting topics that we usually don't talk about. And you'll get my opinions on some things like that. So thank you for watching this episode and make sure to come back next week.